Being the Worst, Episode 23, recorded Thursday, January 31st, 2013. From beingtheworst.com, it's the Being the Worst podcast. Audio apprenticeships for the aspiring software craftsman. With your hosts, Carrie Street and Renat Abdulit. In this episode, Carrie and Renat revisit and correct some DDD terminology they used based on new learning and listener feedback. After they readdress domain, domain model, subdomains, bounded context, published language, shared kernel, and anti-corruption layer, they try to relate these terms to real examples and code. And now, here are Carrie and Renat. So, Renat, episode 21 seems to have sparked a good conversation on the site. I know on uh, episode 21, the linguistic cartographers, I don't know where these names come from sometimes, but uh, we had a good discussion uh, going about the definitions of the stuff we discussed there, subdomains, primary, uh, core domain, subdomain, uh, generic subdomain, all those things. And uh, one of the comments required a little bit longer response from you, and you actually made a blog post about it. And based on the comments that you were getting on your blog and our site at beingtheworst.com, we were going to go over some of the new discoveries or new thoughts you had about that stuff, right? Yeah, right. absolutely. Well, uh, not new discovery, but uh, I'm sorry to say in essence once again, but still in essence, it looks like I messed up a bit my understanding and interpretation of DDD. Mm-hmm. And thanks to Lev Gorodinsky, like uh, his comments, I think we have a chance of straightening up the things, the things a little bit more. Right, and Johan looks like he posted the comment that sparked your blog post, so thank you for asking that. And then I, I saw you and Lev kind of going back and forth on Twitter and in the in the blog to to arrive at what we're going to talk about today. Mm-hmm. Cool. Okay, so uh, one of the first understandings was the term domain. We're using the domain everywhere. It's like subdomain, blah, 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 mm-hmm. domain model, uh, core domain, et cetera, et cetera. So mm-hmm. uh, what does exactly domain mean? So uh, the domain is, or the business, it's how people actually do things in the real world. So we apply domain-driven design to help solving problems in some fast and complicated problem space. We apply DDD to the business, mm-hmm. to the real stuff. And this real stuff sometimes is called domain. So in other words, domain-driven design, it's a reality-driven design or business-driven design. Mm-hmm. Uh, and while we're looking at this uh, business space, at the reality, we start identifying some coherent blocks. These coherent blocks, I used the term business about in context, but actually it's uh, somewhat different. So uh, these existing uh, business blocks, these uh, existing coherent parts, they differentiate based on their importance or their usability. So these different areas, core domain, supporting subdomain, and generic subdomain. So we have domain, which is business, and we can di- differentiate this domain into different areas of different importance and different reusability. So we're still talking about the reality. Mm-hmm. So uh, unlike my previous interpretation, currently I'm leaning closer to the uh, Eric's original book. I-, I was like actually rereading the stuff. So uh, core domain, it's uh, the most important part of the business. It's the, just it's simply the most important part. It's the heart of the business. Mm-hmm. And uh, supporting subdomain, it's once again part of the reality. It's part of the real picture. That is not critical for the business, but it uh, helps it to survive. If uh, we fail to capture uh, supporting subdomain in our code, in our models, nothing 
that external impact will happen right away, but uh, the business might suffer. Mm-hmm. Uh, generic subdomain, it's part of the domain or it's part of the business, uh, which uh, may be common or uh, similar to other parts of the businesses uh, like other companies. Yes. So it's something that if we decide to capture it in the model, in the code, maybe it can be acquired as a component or software. Okay, with you so far. Okay, so we're looking at the problem space, we're looking at the reality, which is a business, and we differentiate different areas of this business, and we give them different names. Mm-hmm. And the idea, or one of the hints that helps us to capture these concepts, it's uh, linked to the language, something that we have been talking about in this podcast for a long, long, long time. And the idea is to create such an abstraction to capture the essence of the business uh, in a useful abstraction, which is called a domain model. So domain model is a representation, it's a reflection of the business that is not full. We just pick the most important traits, the peculiarities which are important for the business, and we discard all the other detail that is not essential. And this domain model we try to develop and deliver in such a way that it will be tightly linked to the original domain. In other words, we try to create a business model that is linked to the original business. And this link, among other things, happens uh, through the means of ubiquitous language. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at our original domain. We identify the words, the terminology that experts use, and we uh, create our domain model using uh, this terminology. This way, they, uh, these two counterparts are represented using the same language, and this inherently makes it simpler to communicate about the domain and the domain model and to evolve them. As we were talking in the previous episode of Being the Worst podcast, one of the tools that helps to follow this path really well, it's aggregates with event sourcing, where we can capture really, really complicated business behaviors, domain behaviors in the code in such a way that it will be not that fragile, it will be rather expressive and easy to develop and easy to maintain. Now, just stopping there for a moment, what I've heard so far doesn't seem to differ too much from what we talked about last time, but I I do want to clarify one thing. So when we talk about capturing the reality of the business Mm -hmm. by using domain-driven design, and we have different levels of importance uh, that we find when we're looking around that reality, Mm -hmm. is the domain model the entire set of the core domain the subdomains and the generic domains and our interpretation of that or just the language that's in that core domain or what exactly did you mean when you said the domain model? So the domain model, it's a generic concept that means a useful abstraction, useful interpretation of the business, of the domain. Uh, It can be captured, like the essence of the business, it can be captured uh, using paper-based workflows where you hand over the instructions to people uh, in form of paper sheets. Or it can be captured in the code. That's what we're trying to achieve. Then I would say it is all of those things. It's all the things the business does day-to-day, regardless of its importance. And the way we articulate it in the domain abstraction mm-hmm. is by level of importance. So yes. the email functionality uh, is not that important to one domain, but the actions and project management and stuff like that in GTD is part of the core domain. But all of it is the domain model. Mm, I'd say that, for instance, we can have a reality of GTD, 
mm-hmm. and we'll have the domain model of GTD. But we can have, for instance, a registration uh, domain somewhere in the reality. And we can simply ignore the process of building domain model for that because we, can, we don't really care or we can acquire the, the component for that. Okay, and wait. It, so the exercise and the effort that you go through to create that abstraction is typically only applied to like the core domain. It's useful and it's worth it only uh, in the core domain. So it would be correct to say that in the subdomain of registration, for example, in, in GTD context, that's not really going to have a domain model. Uh, unless we go into really specific stuff that makes it worth it. Okay. By default, we start by like looking at the domain and identify the core domain. And usually, if there is uh, like the first place to look at when it's searching for the places where to apply DDD and to start creating domain model, it's core domain. Okay. Because that's where we can derive the most competitive advantage for the business. Based on your definitions, I would say that it seems like you can make a blanket black and white statement that a generic subdomain never really has a domain model. Well, actually, not necessarily. Because, for instance, there can be a company that specializes in this type of uh, generic subdomain uh, that makes like that makes a really good domain model that will be pluggable and attachable to other companies. Right, but in that context, that what is a generic subdomain that isn't a domain modeling exercise abstraction for us is the core domain for the provider of that component, and thus they view it as having a domain model. Yes, absolutely. Okay. It's really the from the, the modeler's perspective on what's important, and all of these things might end up actually having a domain model. It's just, in our reality, do we care what that language is and what that abstraction is or not? Yeah. Okay. And to which level we care about that. Got it. Okay. So the biggest difference between uh, how I was talking about the stuff before and now. So previously I was talking about the bounded contexts uh, being uh, the boundaries in the problem space and subdomains being the actual solutions. Mm-hmm. So uh, right now we're just flipping them kind of uh, side uh, backwards. And so a subdomain, for instance, it's a part of the domain, which is a business. So it's part of the business. It's somewhere in the reality. Okay. And while we're looking at this reality and when, when we're trying to uh, develop a solution, we use like some natural boundaries so we can identify bounded context. And uh, the bounded context is still a part of the reality. And we use the bounded context while building our solutions, uh, for instance, to align the solution somehow and to make sure that we differentiate, we, make, uh, we ensure that if the term is used in one domain model, that it does not interfere with the terms in other domain models. Mm-hmm. Because uh, if we have one huge bounded context and we're building uh, multiple, like we have a domain that can be split in multiple subdomains, and for each of the subdomains we're building a domain model. And if somehow we fail to acknowledge and recognize this differentiation, in the original business, in the original domain, uh, this may lead us to the situation where our domain models, they're all linked, and the term that actually means different things in different places, it, it uh, tangles all the domain models together, somehow resulting it to the kind of spaghetti code, but in human language, in human thinking. And as we know, spaghetti code, coupled code, can be evil. What I'm failing to grasp right now, Renat, yes. is I don't... It doesn't sound like we've changed any of the definitions of what we said subdomains and bounded contexts were last time. 
that was my understanding last time. Uh, okay, sorry. So uh, basically, my initial understanding of how I explained the, everything was that subdomains were developed by people. They didn't exist in reality. And that bounded contexts uh, were actually like the place where we're starting from. All right, now, like it's uh, flipping backwards. So uh, subdomains are part of the business that we identify. Mm -hmm. That really exists. Yeah. And while looking at this part of the business and while developing our own domain models, we identify and set up bounded contexts to differentiate terminology within the domain models that we develop. Okay. And the bounded context also exists in reality because of it, it's based on the, the language and such? Yes, somewhat. So uh, in the reality, there are, like, there are lots of lots of actual boundaries. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we go even deeper, each word or each tiny uh, spot can have its own boundary. We just identify the most important boundaries or the boundaries that make the most sense and put a fence there saying, okay, we acknowledge like this boundary. Mm-hmm. And we call this fence bounded context. Okay. So we pick like some boundary. Maybe it it will happen across the like along the organizational lines, or it will happen across the functionality lines. And so we strengthen one boundary, we highlight it, and we call it bounded context. Okay. And so uh, while developing the solutions, uh, we try to align them with both bounded contexts uh, and uh, subdomains. And sometimes we need additional things that will help our solutions to survive in this uh, complicated world. So uh, the two terms that we were talking a bit before are published language and shared kernel. Mm-hmm. So published language are kind of uh, linguistic elements, parts of the certain subdomain. For, uh, for instance, in our case, these can be command and event contracts. Mm-hmm. And these elements are frozen and made visible outside of the subdomain. Frozen meaning that uh, they will not change, the code evolution uh, will not be affecting them them that much because they are no longer uh, internal, they are no longer private. And this published language, by publishing it, by annotating it, what we can do, for instance, uh, publish a DLL for uh, GTD. And we can say that, okay, folks, this is, the, for instance, the endpoint, and this is the set of contracts that you can use. So if you want to create your own uh, workspace or if you want to uh, import your own actions into the inbox, these are the commands that you have to use. Mm-hmm. So we publish our language, uh, the language in which the main model is expressed to other parties. And we say, okay, we publish this language. It's kind of API. And we promise that we'll not be changing it that often. So if you want to interact with our subdomain, in this case, that's core domain, uh, please feel free to use the language. Yes. Okay, so uh, that's one of the elements that can be placed on the context map uh, to help uh, thinking through the development process and domain modeling process. Okay. Uh, shared kernel, it's a slightly different thing. It's actually part of the subdomain implementation that is frozen and extracted outside of the subdomain. For instance, in our case, we can freeze and extract the actual domain model uh, in, implemented as aggregates with event sourcing. And we can freeze it and extract it and ship it out to other people in form of uh, JLL. For instance, we can ship this uh, domain model, like the core library, to people who are developing occasional connected uh, iOS smart app. Right. 
And they can use this on their side in their client to make sure that, like, for instance, when they're working in occasionally, like, in completely disconnected mode, uh, that when somebody is working with the GTD app and he adds actions or he moves projects around, these commands go into the local domain model. This domain model implemented as aggregates within sourcing publishes events. And these events go through their local projections and immediately update UI because everything happens synchronously. Mm-hmm. So they have fully working uh, local uh, replica of GTD app. And they didn't actually build the domain logic. They didn't have the domain model implementation because it's already it was shipped to them as shared kernel. Well, it's, it's the concept of components that you go buy sometimes, you know, that you, yes. you go to yes. some vendor and buy a component that's already worried about all that stuff and plug it in. Yes, but in our case, we make it explicit that not, that's not only the component. That component uh, actually com- comes with its own language. It comes with a heck of, uh, heck of episodes of being the worst. It uh, comes with a lot of meaning. And it helps, like, people can reuse it locally, or they can use this domain model captured in the code as a way to integrate with our servers. Because we want to synchronize their uh, occasional connected client with a server. So they take the events that were produced on their side, and they push them to the server. And the events are uh, like were produced by our own domain model. So it should be relatively easy to integrate. And as events are pushed to our own event store, uh, the server on the event store like com- compares the versions. And if it detects conflicts, it will force the client, occasional connected client, to merge and resolve certain conflicts. Our domain model might be able, might support uh, conflict resolution. Uh, then uh, if all the conflicts are resolved, this occasional connected client will be able to push events to the central system. This happens because they have the shared kernel. If somebody was building not a fully connected and smart occasional client, but simply a web UI, they can uh, live with, with the simple published language because their web UI only needs to send a few commands and maybe check out a few views. Right. Okay. Okay. Uh, one additional concept that can be placed on the context map and that can uh, make life of people, of domain experts and people who implement the code, it's inter- anti-corruption layer. So uh, that's actually the code that explicitly protects the logical model of the subdomain from m- maybe some other messy domain, some other logic that is corrupted or messed up and we want to set up explicit boundary saying, okay, this is where corruption ends will not let it go forever. I've always perceived that as sort of like an integration layer. Well, yes, it serves as an integration, but it's also like this is kind of quarantine zone. Is it the job and responsibility of the anti-corruption layer to handle that mapping translation from the messy domain to our pretty domain? Yeah. Okay. So this uh, mapping happens exactly in the anti-corruption layer. Okay. And the purpose here is to make the explicit that there is a boundary and that we don't want to allow any changes or uh, complicated logic that exists in the other subdomain to creep into our own subdomain. Okay. So uh, if, for instance, uh, the other subdomain it doesn't have the clear uh, GTD system, but we still have to integrate with it. Uh, for instance, if the other subdomain has only tasks which are added to the projects, uh, but these tasks are not actually tasks, but Maybe sometimes we can uh, contain multiple nested tasks, and the projects can sometimes be uh, linked to contacts, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So they have their own separate model. 
their own separate domain model, which might be mapped to the certain reality, certain domain, or it might exist only in the crazy mind of people who wrote the subdomain. And we uh, imagine for some reason we want to integrate with this, but we want to, to make sure that there is no complexity or there is no uh, unintentional uh, corruption creep. So in our code, in the uh, code of anti-corruption layer, we'll write the transformation that, for instance, takes task objects and so somehow converts them to our own actions and also adds a lot of comments saying, okay, this task is not actually a task, that uh, this term comes from this subdomain, and it actually means there, that thing, and we're con- when we're converting it to our own actions, uh, that would happen. So that's how we map, that's how we map fields, that's how we map properties. Okay, makes sense. So the purpose of the anti-corruption layer, it's uh, also to preserve the integrity and sanity of the domain model as it is and all uh, during the evolution. That makes sense. Okay, so I think that's it. So I think the main distinction from last time was the assumption that the subdomain was the implemented solution that had nothing to do with reality. That was the main difference we talked about today. Yes. Okay. So uh, by now, I I think and I hope I get it uh, slightly better. Uh, So uh, we have more clear understanding of what is domain versus what is domain model. So domain, it's an uh, actual business. It's just a generic term for the business, for the way uh, some company makes money. Mm-hmm. That's how people actually do things in the real, real world or uh, also the problem space. We try to help a company uh, to do their business, to work, uh, like to do their magic of domain by capturing, by identifying certain parts of the domain which are worth capturing and capturing them in domain models. So different parts of the business or of the domain have different characteristics, peculiarities, or importance. And these parts are called subdomains. And we can identify their core domain, the most important part, the most important subdomain, where the business derives its most competitive advantage, supporting subdomain and generic subdomain. And if we ever need to think of the like, where do we start, where could we apply domain-driven design, it's obviously we start with a core domain. And so we have these uh, subdomains and domains. And when we start building our solutions in the solution space, we base these solutions on certain linguistic boundaries. And we actually use this also uh, linguistic boundaries to identify parts of the domain. And we highlight and mark down certain linguistic boundaries that make the most sense for us because they surround certain contexts and we call them bounded contexts. And we say that if we use a term in this bounded context, it might have a different meaning from the same term if it shows up in different bounded contexts. And I think what we might want to do, Renat, because I think we're both admitting that this episode's current interpretation and tweak and understanding of what these things mean uh, from a theoretical abstract definition and then what we're going to do in these other episodes is start applying these this methodology of domain-driven design to actual code in the context of a Visual Studio solution in C-sharp. And mm-hmm. maybe what we could do as we continue this ongoing conversation, because I'm sure we're going to get feedback on why whatever we just said this time uh, it may not be exactly right. And one day maybe our dream would be to get Eric Evans on the show and have him 
you know, go over our current interpretation and laugh at us and say like, oh, yeah, you guys got that all wrong. It's totally wrong. Uh, <laughs> okay. But, uh, but until we have that, when we go through these terms, what helps me at least and might help some of the listeners is what I just did is I opened up the current GTD project. And sometimes what I'll try to do is maybe take these concepts and apply it to what I'm actually looking at in Visual Studio so that maybe we can have a more concrete thing. So I'm just glancing over the solution right now to see if there's anything that sticks out as any questions I had about what you said. But I think the way you just described bounded context as that boundary and and keeping the language from corrupting each other and things like that, where Uh we draw the fence around it, what we've done so far in our solution uh, in the last episode's code is we've created separate Visual Studio projects and given Uh them separate namespaces. And that's currently the way we're manifesting that bounded context boundary. Partially, yes, but also namespaces they used are used to uh, separate different services to organize the code. And so far, in the current uh, solution, we have only one bounded context because we have only one language. And oh. that language is the GTD methodology. I so see, we, I see, because we don't have those subdomains in there yet, those other ones. Yeah, so if we look at the uh, diagram that is exists for episode 21 language cartographers yes so the current solution applies only to the the methodology bounded context oh of course right and guys that's episode 21 there was a diagram in there and i think we put that in the uh, github repo for that episode too possibly as an extra yes. resource um, yes, in, yes. in the in the btw directory if you guys are looking for that in the uh, repo but yeah so if you look at that diagram I forgot about those three bounded contexts of registration, the GTD methodology, the core domain, and that hobbyist fluffy domain. We have diagram there. And when I look at Renat's current code, yeah, there is nothing other than the GTD bounded context code in there yet. Uh-huh. Except for like the, you know, you, the placeholders you had the, for server and, you uh-huh. know, that's, but, but that's a, even this still stuff part will probably exist within this uh, core bounded context almost completely anyway. And actually, like these changes in slight changes in the linguistics, they don't even affect this uh, diagram because uh, it still stays valid. Yes, it looks like it's still valid based on everything you said today. And and would you anticipate then, Renat, that when we start getting into the registration bounded context, for example, that inside of the Visual Studio naming and the solutions of the the naming of the projects, right now they're all GTD dot something, GTD dot something. Do you think we might end up calling that like? registration dot something and have nothing to do with GTD or? Oh, that seems like a worthy solution. Yeah, that's a possibility. Okay, so that that's still kind of like to be determined, but I can see how even just the naming of the projects and thus the assemblies and DLLs that come out of there mm-hmm. can start to line up with these concepts. And for whatever reason, whenever I actually see these diagrams turned into code that I'm more familiar with, it starts to make more sense to me. So mm-hmm. I'll probably be nagging you about that. Like, hey, we're not. Is that DLL? In which context is that? You know, <laughs> <laughs> Why did we do that? Why did we do this? And you're going to say, dude, it can't be black and white everything. You're going to have to let some of it go. <laughs> so that's totally fine, too. But uh, that's the whole. that was one of the main uh, reasons for these conversations was so that uh, you can roll your eyes and say, I know you really want there to be a right answer for all this, but sometimes <laughs> it's just a little gray, buddy. <laughs> so. Well, actually, uh, as a side note, uh, one of the feedback I was getting for being the worst podcast, people like kind of like the stuff that I'm saying sometimes, 
but it's sometimes it's like really complicated and they just love how you manage to ask the questions, how you manage to simplify things and you manage to steer me and prevent me from like bragging all about everything at once. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, uh, that's good to know that I'm not the only one uh, talking out loud to myself and having everyone going like, when is this guy going to get it? You know, I get the being the worst thing, but like, it's been like, I don't know, several months now. Is, is the light bulb going to go on or is, is he going to be the worst guy like for the next 15 seasons or what? what's the deal here? So, uh, hey, yeah, I want to be the worst guy for the next seasons. Yeah. One of these days we'll get into a domain that maybe I'm uh, more familiar with than you are and we can reverse roles and I can say, now, Renat, you need to slow down here, buddy. Let's, uh, you know, <laughs> so we'll see. Okay, that would be fun. Yeah, I think that might be a long ways off. Let's let's solve this problem first. And uh, I think based on some of the feedback we're getting for the interest in the getting things done domain and because it's practical and you can learn these concepts and actually end up, you know, with a system that might be helpful in real life, that uh, this particular domain might run its course for quite some time and let us get into a lot of that other stuff in the uh, – in the initial learning plan and the, the map that you laid out a long time ago. So, well, August isn't that long a time ago, but yeah. Yeah. So. Some time ago. Yep. Okay. And so, uh, for this episode, I don't, uh, anticipate a lot of homework. Basically, uh, you folks can just go and try to find, uh, Eric Evans, blue book, steal, borrow, etc., whatever it takes, uh, because it's definitely worth the read. Yeah. I, uh, I really do need to read that. Time <laughs> will, try to focus on developing the actual solution. And I think the next step that would be taken is to take the, uh, the console app that exists in the solution, gtd.console, and make it into a locally working console, similar to the, the console that we used for domain interaction at the end of the factory expedition, oh. where we had this uh, console where you could uh, list workers or run stories, etc., etc. Cool. And the only difference would be that this console would not persist everything in the in-memory store, but it will persist everything in the file system. So technically, that should enable us to have a simple GTD helper app that already runs and that can be useful for uh, text-based interaction, for adding actions, for listing projects, etc., etc. That'd be cool. I look forward to that. And um, I think a sneak peek into the next episode, we're having a pretty good conversation uh well the beginnings of a conversation at being the worst.com on episode 22 and the naming that we were discussing around tenant and some alternative words there and i'm going back and sort of listening to the gtd book at the beginning to see sort of what david allen keeps referring to the system as and we've got a couple of ideas there and on that note renat could you maybe refresh my memory and the audience's memory on the proper way to so if i've cloned our repo and I want to create a branch that has my naming experiments in it that we may not want to corrupt the master with yet, what's the right way to, to create that branch? Okay, uh, there, there is actual differentiation between you or other listeners that don't have right access to the branch, okay. to the repository. So if you're like somebody who is looking at the open source project and, or uh, who is looking at the repository for which he doesn't have right access. So the idea is to fork the repository. Yes. Uh, meaning that your own account will have a clone of the master repository. Yes. And then in that repository, you create your own branch. So uh, in the code, you go first like to the master. You update to the commit that you want to start branching from. And then you type something like git checkout minus b and the branch name. 
Okay. And this means that we're actually creating a new branch and uh, like switching to that branch immediately. So the actual uh, uh, commit or like the work copy, it will not be even changed. However, uh, as you will start adding pushing new commits, they will not go into the master. Like these commits will go their own separate path. I see. And the branch branch is essentially a pointer to the uh, like commit to the last commit in the sequence that moves as we as you add commit to that. So as you commit new changes to your uh, separate branch, like this branch pointer will be moving. Yeah, it's literally the branch of that graph. It's it's a yeah. Whole so new uh, path. you will have like a separate branch that grows sprouts to the side of the master. Got it. And then so. Uh, and I'll probably just so that I can experience what normal listeners would without write access directly. I'll probably fork our repo from the being the worst uh, master into my local K Street GitHub account, clone it down, create a branch, and do all of my all these whacking naming questions I have for mm-hmm. you and ideas. And then I'll be able to push that back to GitHub. And then if we wanted to, you and I could talk about what you do and don't like about what I've done inside mm-hmm. of GitHub or whatever. Yeah, okay. and for instance, one of the options is I can actually reach out from the um, my repository to your uh, forked repository, pull your branch to the uh, like to the primary repository, and actually merge the changes that I were interested in into this master repository. Does it actually let you do like select like if I do a bunch of small commits in the branch? Could you actually cherry pick the specific commits you want to merge? Yeah, that's possible. Oh, that's cool. I don't know if that's what actually happens in the real world, but yeah, that's cool that you can do it. I would assume you could do it, but mm-hmm. anyway, yeah, that's a little tangent on Git usage because uh, I was I started to do that when I was making a couple of comments to the code, and I said, mm-hmm. you know what, we're we're not going to have separate uh, separate downloads and repos for this one, and I would like to keep this clean, so I might actually check out this branch stuff and not screw up the main one for right now because mm-hmm. I I just imagined you uh, waking up one very cold Russian morning and looking at the master going. What the? F- <laughs> what you know? The name. I was trying to meet you halfway. You know, is it really so hard to accept this word? Come on, you know. I I, I look forward to that conversation. <laughs> so. Oh, that sounds like fun. Yeah. And besides, technically, it's uh, it's not possible to mess up a Git repository very badly. We can always fix it. Yeah, I know you can do all the ma- you know all the magical uh, commands at the command line to uh, get my stuff out of there if you need to get get my stuff out of there if you need to, but. Uh, I was just bored and want to learn uh, play with branches. So anyway, uh, cool. Thanks for the clarification on this DDD stuff. I'm uh, sure that something's still wrong in there. Maybe we'll figure it out as we go. Keep giving us your feedback on the site, guys, at beingtheworst.com. Uh, the comments are starting to pick up, uh, which is great. And uh, new people uh, that we haven't seen before making comments is really cool to see. And uh, we'll continue to do that. Renat, I know there's a couple of comments on there from past episodes that yeah, I'll catch up. Yeah, yeah. I know that uh, you're crazy busy. So guys, hang in there. We haven't forgotten about them. Renat just uh, needs to be able to sleep sometimes. So uh, uh, we will be happy to refund the payments that you've been making. Uh, just let us know where we send the check of $0 to. And uh, no, anyway, so we're at beingtheworst.com. We're on Twitter at beingtheworst. I'm on Twitter at KC Street. And Renat is on Twitter at, at Abdulin. So anything else, man? Uh, not much. Stay with us. And hopefully we'll keep on pushing this uh, podcast and pushing forward the community knowledge. We Thanks will. for listening. Bye. Thanks, guys. Bye.